Hi everyone, welcome back to Hitchcock University where you learn filmmaking from the masters. Last class session we talked about El Mariachi and this class session we're going to talk about true romance. Um, we're pulling kind of an audible here. I, I, I didn't expect going into this that we were going to do true romance. Um, I was hoping that we would, but I didn't know that we were going to. So hopefully we're not throwing everybody off. Once we get past this, we're going to go right into um, Pulp Fiction like we planned and then Desperado and etc. Um, hold on one second. There's some noise that I need to get rid of. Um, okay, I'm back. So why are we talking about true romance? Um, because this isn't a script that Tarantino directed. It's just a script that he wrote. Well, I've always pictured Hitchcock University as a place where you learn about filmmakers and where you learn filmmaking from the masters. And I think we've done a disservice to the word filmmaker. I think a lot of us picture, when I say filmmaker, you hear director. And I'm trying to get rid of that idea because filmmaking is a lot more than just directing. Um, I think um, there are some actors who are real filmmakers. I think that there are editors who are filmmakers. There are cinematographers who are filmmakers. There are writers who are filmmakers. Because a filmmaker, there are producers who are filmmakers, because a filmmaker is anyone who understands the craft of filmmaking. And I'm not saying that they know everything about it, but they understand the medium. And that can be anybody, not just a director. Um, in fact, there's some directors that I don't think understand the medium. Um, <clears throat> which is why we're not going to talk about them in this class. Uh, I'll find somebody else to talk about, even if they're not a director. Since we're talking about Tarantino, I thought this would be a good time to approach filmmaking from a writing perspective and most specifically from a storytelling perspective because when you're talking about narrative film that's what filmmaking is is telling a story so I'm going to pull a lot of this backstory here from the commentary and I, I I think this backstory is kind of important to help set us up and and I think especially because we're talking about early careers still um, hopefully you find some of this inspiring or or at least encouraging as I know a lot of us are struggling to figure out exactly what it is we're going to do and how we're going to do it. This is the first full script Tarantino wrote. He had started a lot of other scripts. In fact, he estimates about 30 of them, which is interesting because both he and Robert Rodriguez landed on that number of 30. Um, Rodriguez says every filmmaker has about 30 films, in, 30 bad movies in them, and the sooner you get them out, the better. And Tarantino talks about starting about 30 scripts before actually finishing one. So that's interesting because I think there's a lesson to be learned there about just keep plugging away. Just keep doing whatever it is that you're doing. And eventually you're going to get good at it. You may not. I mean, some people have much more natural born talent than others. And I consider Tarantino to be a naturally gifted writer and a naturally gifted filmmaker. And he describes himself that way. But even the naturally gifted took time to develop their craft. So just remember that. Um, anyway, normally what would happen is he started these scripts is he'd get to about page 20 or 30 and then have a, a, another idea that he was much more interested in, abandon that other script and start a whole new one. Because um, he didn't have a burning story that he needed to tell. He just wanted to write something. But then finally he hits this idea. He hits upon an idea called The Open Road. That was the name of it. He, didn't, he doesn't really talk about it that much. Um, and... <laughs> He just kept going and going and going and going and going until finally he had 
several hundred pages, and it was basically, as he calls it, his unpublished great American novel. Um, but the importance of that is that got him past the 30-page mark. He finally figured out if he had a burning story to tell, he could get he could get something done. So he knew whatever he did next, now that he'd broken through that wall, whatever he did next was going to be something that, 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 that could be made into a movie. And so once he finished the script, he was like, this is the movie I'm going to make. I'm going to make this movie. I'm going to raise the money, you know, get some limited partnership or something and about $1.3 million and we'll go make the movie. And he was never able to raise the funds. And then going to parties, Quentin met Tony Scott. Um, and he showed him at first the script to Reservoir Dogs because he would put True Romance aside because nothing happened to it. And he'd already written Natural Born Killers and he put that aside and he hands him Reservoir Dogs. That was his next project that he was burning to do. And when Tony Scott read the script, he's like, well, I want to make this movie. And Quentin's like, no, 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 no. You're not going to make this movie. I'm going to make this movie. Um, but I've got a couple other scripts that you can read. So he hands him Natural Born Killers and he hands him True Romance. And Tony Scott reads through those scripts and he latches onto True Romance and really, really likes it. But because Tony Scott's in the Hollywood machine, it takes a little while for projects to get rolling. And so production doesn't start until after Reservoir Dogs. So Reservoir Dogs gets made and True Romance is still not into production yet. And when Tony Scott sees Reservoir Dogs, he looks at Quentin and says, are you sure you don't want me to produce True Romance and let you direct it? But the thing was, Quentin emotionally had already moved on from that character and that story, and Tony hadn't. Tony Scott was still in that movie, ready, burning to make that movie. And Quentin had already moved on, and he'd already gone off and made his movie. So he he let Tony Scott do what he was going to do. Now, that doesn't mean Quentin didn't have input into it. Quentin did a lot of collaborating with Tony Scott, and we're going to get into some of that. Um, but Quentin emotionally had moved on. And sometimes sometimes that's... Sometimes that's the most important thing to do because I imagine if you're doing this, there's a creative element to you. And as a creative person of some caliber, you have to kind of follow your creative passions wherever they lead. And if they move on from another project, you probably shouldn't go back to it. I think there's a good lesson to be learned there. But the in, but but I want to talk about this script. I want to talk about this script that Quentin wrote. This quote comes from the book Quentin Tarantino Interviews where um, and from an interview called When You Know You're in Good Hands. And he says, True romance wasn't written in a linear fashion. Originally, Tony Scott made it all linear, and it worked that way. If you break it into three acts, the structure that they all work under, now he's talking about Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and True Romance, is in the first act, the audience doesn't understand what's going on. They're just getting to know the characters. The characters have far more information than the audience has. By the second act, you start catching up and get even with the characters. And then in the third act, you know far more than the characters know. You're way ahead of the characters. Okay. This is how Quentin Tarantino has written for a long time. He started to kind of go away from that and starting to get more and more linear as time goes on. This is how he started, and this is how he made such a big splash, is by playing with structure. Let's break this down again, because I think this is a great formula for an interesting structure. I'm hesitant to rip it off myself, because I don't want to be the person who just copies Quentin Tarantino. But at the same time, this really works. And if you're moved by it, it's hard to not 
it's hard to not want to do this. And he gives you the the entire game plan right here. He says, break it into three acts. In the first act, the audience doesn't understand what's going on. In the first act, all you're doing is hanging out with the characters. And you're getting pieces of information, but you're not sure how they fit yet. I don't know how many of you have seen True Romance, and I don't want to ruin the movie because I think it's such a fun ride. But what I would recommend is getting, finding somewhere a DVD or a Blu-ray copy of True Romance, watching it, and then listen to Quentin's commentary because Tarantino breaks it down in a way that once you start moving the jigsaw pieces around, you can see the structure play out very clearly. And he describes exactly how it was written in his script, how he starts here and then moves to here and then moves to here, you know. So, but 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 you can even, you know, even if you just know Reservoir Dogs very well or you know Pulp Fiction very well, just think about this structure through those films as well because it works for all three of them. In the first act, the characters know more than you do. You're catching up to them or trying to. And you, you're only getting pieces of information at a time. Okay, and you're not entirely, you know, so maybe if somebody's telling a story, you're not entirely sure if that if that story's true or if this story's true or, you know, there can be conflicting um, ideas floating around and you're not really sure what's happening until the second act when you've caught up to the characters, when you as the filmmaker have given the audience all of the information they need to now know exactly how much the characters know. And then by the third act, there is now information that the characters don't know, but we know. And this goes back to Alfred Hitchcock's theory on suspense. I'm going to, this is going to be review for a lot of us, but I want to go over this again because it's so crucial. Okay. Picture a scene where two people are talking about, I don't know, last night's baseball game in a restaurant. And they talk for five minutes and nothing happens. They're just talking about baseball. And then, boom, the restaurant blows up. The, you know, boom, that's it. Our characters are dead. Okay. That's not suspenseful because we only know as much as the characters know. All we know is about last night's baseball game. There's no suspense in that. But if at the begin, the very first shot of that scene is the bomb under the table and we pull out and reveal two characters talking about last night's baseball game, those next five minutes, assuming we care about the characters, become incredibly suspenseful because we know more than they do. And as far as we're concerned, they're just talking about last night's stupid baseball game where they need to be worried about the bomb under the table that they don't know is there. That creates suspense in the audience. If we have more information than the characters do, you now have created suspense. Okay, and that's what Quentin's talking about. At the end of this movie, we have more information than the characters do. And it applies to Reservoir Dogs, it applies to Pulp Fiction, and it definitely applies to True Romance. True Romance does a great job because there's three groups of people moving at the same direction and they're all going to come to a head, okay? And we get to see exactly how all three of these groups of people are moving toward the situation. And so we know exactly who's going to be where, who's going to do what, and we know that they're all going to be there even though they don't know that the other one is going to be there. Or maybe they know that one will be in the other, but we don't know about the other one. And that creates the suspense of the, the, the climax of true romance. Okay. Now, 
one more very, very important storytelling note that I have been trying to start including in everything I do. This is another block quote from um, the interview, When You Know You're in Good Hands, okay? And this is something that Tarantino has talked a lot about um, in various formats and platforms. He says, to me, 90% of the problem with movies nowadays lies in the script. Storytelling has become a lost art. They're just situations. A story isn't real Canadian mounted police officer goes to New York to capture a Canuck bad guy or white cop and black cop looking for a serial killer, but this time they're looking in Tijuana. Those are situations. They can be fun. I just saw Speed the other day, a totally fun movie, had a blast. Situation filmmaking at its best because they really went with it. Speed works. I watched, I watched Making County Line again a few months ago. Cool film. And I was shocked at how much of a story they told. Not that complicated of a story, but it took me to different levels. However, Groundhog Day is one of my favorite movies from last year, and that's totally a situation movie. But they went beyond the situation and told a story. Something that um, Tarantino told in his Charlie Rose interview uh, for Pulp Fiction. He says, a good majority of the movies that, came, that come out, you know everything you're going to see in the first 10 or 20 minutes. Now, that's not a story. A story is something that constantly unfolds. I'm not talking about a quick left turn or a quick right turn or a big surprise. I'm talking about it unfolds. Okay. A situation is a movie or a story that you get into the first act of and you know pretty much everything else that's going to happen. Within reason, okay? Because you've seen it a bunch of times. It's this very cut and dry formula. It's we take these people, we put them in this place, and then stuff happens, okay? A situation is a, is, is a scenario in which that situation doesn't change, right? There's nothing in that situation that's changing. There's nothing dynamic about it. And that's okay, like he said, Speed is an excellent example of that. There are a lot of people who really love the movie Speed. It's been a long time since I've seen it, so I'm not going to make any comments on it. But Speed can be... A, I, I remember when I first saw it, Speed was a really, really fun movie. I don't even know that I've seen it more than once. But in that first viewing, it's a fun movie. It just, it's, it's exciting. It's enjoyable. And that's, as he says, situation filmmaking at its best. But what's the story? There is no story. Speed is a situation. It's cop on a bus with a bomb, you know, that's it, you know, and they have to go over a certain speed or else the bomb will blow up. That's a situation. Now, they run that situation through a bunch of different variations, but that situation doesn't unfold. It's very limited in scope and, unlimited, and limited in ability to change and be dynamic, okay? Stories unfold. Stories do not keep you in the same place with the same stakes, with the same everything. Stories unfold. And that's what Tarantino has sought to do since the beginning, to tell a story, something that happens. So, and, and, and again, it's not about twists and turns and things like that. It's about, it's about a developing situation. Because situations aren't aren't removed from stories, 
but stories can be move, can be removed from situations if that makes sense it's 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 sort of a complex concept to start wrapping your head around but stories take place in situations right but situations don't have to take place inside of stories so you're going to have a situation that's what makes it a that that that's part of the story but that's not all of the story um I'm trying to come up with a good example without spoiling one of Quentin's movies um, or or without even um, or without spoiling any movie. Um, gosh, what's a movie that everybody's seen? Okay, let's start with Jaws. Jaws is a story, but it starts with a situation. The situation is man-eating rogue shark comes to quiet Amity Beach and terrorizes the island, right? That's the opening situation. But the story takes us through the eyes mostly of Sheriff Brody, who, you know, first it's we have to convince the town to deal with the shark. Okay? The town's not going to deal with the shark. So now we have to protect the swimmers in the water. Okay? But they're not going to do that, you know, but we can't actually do that. Okay? So now we have to go out on the water and and kill the shark. There are several situations at work there as the story unfolds and takes us to new, not even new locations, but new places within. And I don't mean places as in physical locations. I mean places as in, as in situations. It takes us to new situations as the story unfolds unfolds as it develops that is a situation that develops into into ever greater situations and not ever greater as in ever grander but ever greater as in taking our protagonist sheriff brody um to new depths you know sheriff brody is you know at first he's just this 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 new york cop who was tired of living in the city and so now he lives on this quiet island where he doesn't have to worry about anything. And now so suddenly he does. Okay, so now he has to play the politician. But that's not really his thing, you know. And so now, now he just has to kind of sit back and not, not be able to do much. But that's not his thing. So then he does something and then that doesn't work. And, you know, he's afraid of the water, but he's got to go out on the ocean to kill the shark. And, you know... And, and, and in the meantime, he has to deal with, with this Ahab-like nuthead, um, <laughs> you know, and this, and, and this scientist who has great respect for sharks and loves the water. And, he, <laughs> you know, it, it takes him to the end of his rope. All of those situations pushes him further and further and further until finally we have that beautiful moment where he says, smile, you son of a bitch, poof. And kills the shark, and we have that great moment where he's he's on top of the world, even though he's on the mast of a sinking boat. Um, that's a story, you know. That's a story. That's not a situation. It could Jaws so could have easily been a situational story, you know. Um, I haven't seen it, but I have a feeling that that movie Open Water was a situation and not a story. Um, what I, I, I think what frustrated a lot of people about gravity 
could have been that it was a situation and not a story. And I never saw Gravity. I'll be honest with you. I never actually saw Gravity. But that movie seems more like a situation than a story without me, you know, having seen it. You know, if you disagree with me, please, by all means, um, let me know. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that movie. I, I, my fear with that movie is that it was built for the big screen and I missed it and I'm afraid to watch it <laughs> without a big screen. And I, you know, maybe one day, but, um, until that day. So yeah, that's a story. That's the difference between telling a situation and telling a story. Okay. Now let's get to some of the collaboration that Quentin Tarantino as a filmmaker had with Tony Scott, his fellow filmmaker. This comes from the interview from Quentin Tarantino interviews. Answers first, questions later. Okay. In the original script, by the way, this contains spoilers. If you don't want any spoilers, just skip the rest of this episode because that's all I'm going to talk about. In the original script, Quentin Tarantino had Christian Slater's character, Clarence, die. Then Alabama went off and was her own person. Okay. Tony Scott changed the ending so that Clarence would live. And at first, Quentin was not very happy about that. But they sat down and talked about it. And Quentin explained his side, and Tony Scott explained his side. What Tony Scott said was, I'm not changing this for commercial reasons, which was really Quentin's biggest fear, was that this was a bullshit commercial. I'm sorry. This was a a bullcrap commercial decision to make it a more appealing film for a mass audience. He says, that's not what I'm doing. I just really like these characters and I want to see them get away with this. So, but he told him, Quentin, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to shoot both endings. And when I get it in the edit, then I'm going to decide which ending I prefer. And at that point, Quentin said, okay, I like that idea. Now, Quentin likes his ending, and he likes Tony Scott's ending. He admitted in, a, in one interview that he likes his ending a little more. But in, um, there's, so on the DVD and on the Blu-ray, there's, uh, they have the alternate ending. And Quentin Tarantino has his own commentary track for the alternate ending. And in that, he says, the ending that is in the movie where Clarence lives is the better fit for the movie Tony Scott directed. And if Quentin had directed the movie, it would have required the ending that he wrote. But for the movie Tony Scott directed, because it has this kind of fairy tale feel to it, and I think a lot of that probably comes from the fact that, that Tony Scott really did like these characters so much, it, it became necessary for Clarence to live for the movie Tony Scott directed. And that is one of the most interesting things about about filmmaking to me is you can give different filmmakers the same script and get two different movies. It's all right there on the page, obviously, but turning the page into visuals, that's where a filmmaker gets to step in and say, well, this is my interpretation of what I'm reading. Not to mention the fact that really what this comes down to is something called audience theory, which says that whoever makes a piece of art, whether it be a film, whether it be a novel, whether it be a painting, whether it be a statue, 
they do not get to tell the audience what what the meaning, what the significance of it is. The audience decides that. Sometimes collectively and sometimes individually. They decide what the meaning of that film is or that piece of art is for them. So you give somebody a script, that's a piece of art. And the director gets to, gets to read in read all of their interpretations into that script where they think the beats of the story are, where they think the character moments are, their understanding of the characters, their understanding of the story, of its, of its themes, of its style, of its personality, of its however you want to define it. They get to define all those intangibles because it's in their head. And that means you get a different movie than what somebody else might have done with it. You can give the same storyboards to different directors and get a different movie. Um, I heard this on uh, Guillermo del Toro's interview on Robert Rodriguez's The Director's Chair. He was running behind on, I think it was Mimic, and had to bring in Second Unit, which he hates doing. But So what he did was he brought in filmmakers that he liked and that he trusted, so he brought in Robert Rodriguez, and he gave him storyboards of, this is what I want, this is how, this is how I want the scene to be shot. And then Rodriguez would take the storyboards. He would give him those shots, but he would do things in them. He would move the camera in certain ways. He would do, you know, certain things with the light or certain things, you know, you know, maybe, maybe use a different lens than Del Toro might have or something. They have the same storyboards. You would think visual for visual, this would be the same, but it's not. It's not because a storyboard is just a piece of paper with scribbles on it that, that, appear to be an image to us and then you have to go out in the real world and then make that image and what you see on the on that piece of paper with the scribbles on it is different than what somebody else is going to see in their head and so you get a different movie even though they were things that Guillermo del Toro wouldn't have done himself they were still things that he liked and so he kept all of those little flares that Robert Rodriguez had and so it's almost like having a guest director <laughs> you know, direct a scene for you or a couple of scenes or whatever. Um, so that's the beauty of filmmaking. And, 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 and that all kind of comes down to this whole idea of what is a filmmaker? And this is why collaboration can become so important because an actor, a production designer, an editor, an anybody, anybody on your set might have some ideas about the story that you didn't have. And it's important to listen to them because they're going to see things differently than you. But they still might be something that helps you tell the story you're trying to tell. It still might fit, even though it's coming from a different perspective. So that's all I have for True Romance. Um, I, hope, I hope that was worth our time. Um, next up is uh, Pulp Fiction, Desperado, and then we're going to talk about From Dusk Till Dawn. Um, that's all we've got. Uh, for True Romance. That's what we'll do next couple weeks. Um, if you like what you've been listening to, um, give us a like, a rating, a review, a comment, or whatever. Uh, wherever it is you listen to the show, whether that's SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, what have you. Um, on top of that, don't forget about our newly unveiled um, uh, Hitchcock University YouTube page, which you can subscribe to and also keep up with the updates on um, on, uh, on Hitchcock University Facebook page, Hitch underscore U is the handle on Twitter. 
And then, of course, you if you have any questions, comments, concerns, otherwise, please reach out to the podcast. You can email us uh, at the address HitchcockUniversity at gmail.com. All one word, all lowercase. Um, yeah, that's... That's all I got. Uh, Thank you again for listening to Hitchcock University. We will talk to you again in two weeks.